Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. I'm so glad that you could make it back with me this week, especially with all that's going on. Boy, we could talk about that, couldn't we? But we're not going to. You probably are getting enough of that in the news and stuff. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the Building Society Bandit. He was also known as the Gentleman Bandit, and he helps us settle a fundamental issue relevant to authentic recovery from from borderline personality disorder and other emotional disorders. So you're going to enjoy that, I think. But before we get into that, I need to mention thelastsymptom.com. I know that you've got so many things on your mind, but it's worth running over there and taking advantage of the free resources that I provide. And if you're so inclined, you could leave me a donation while you're there to support my overall body of work, which includes this podcast. Also, if you're so inclined, you can schedule a one-on-one appointment with me, and I can help you figure some things out related to authentic recovery. I can help you pinpoint where your perspective might be off, help you make a slight adjustment that could change literally everything. If you are not somebody that's personally trying to recover from something like borderline personality disorder, but you have people you care about who are trying to recover from something like that, well, I can talk to you about the best way for you to approach your dealings with them to give them the very best opportunity at success at their efforts. So now that we've mentioned all that, let me ask you how you're doing. Are you starting to get cabin fever? Cabin fever is when you're stuck. <laughs> it comes from being stuck in a cabin all winter long and uh, just going nuts because you want to get out of the cabin, get out into the woods and enjoy life a little bit. That's where that phrase comes from. So are you experiencing cabin fever in April? Well, I'll be honest with you. I am. I am a bit. I did not think that this quarantine business was really going to affect me as much as it is. And, um, you know, you just don't realize how much you miss these, these little things in your life until uh, you're not allowed access to them. So I think I mentioned last week that I, I really miss going to the gym. And I never thought I'd hear myself say that in a billion years because every time I'd go to the gym and I'd see a thousand cars parked there I would curse my luck because I knew I'd be waiting for the bench press that I wanted I'd have to 
mix up my routine. I wouldn't be able to do it in the order that I prefer. Uh, but now, now that I can't go to the gym, I really miss it. I miss being around other people who are either enjoyably or reluctantly doing the same thing that I'm doing. It, it, was, it was motivating for me. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that. I really hope that uh, we all can before too much longer. Of course, uh, was it last weekend? Yeah, it was last weekend. I popped the top off the old Jeep, and I went out to my old buddy Brian Lambert's house, took my daughter with me, and we picked a big old mess of dandelions. And so I've been working on my dandelion wine. Now, let me tell you something about that. This is my third year making dandelion wine. The first year turned out okay, but it wasn't anything that I would gift to anybody. You know, it, it was nothing that I would give to anybody as a gift. And I had people asking for it. And I specifically held back on giving them a bottle of that wine because I said to myself, Self, if you're going to give a bottle of wine to somebody, that first impression is going to be what they remember about your winemaking skills forever and ever afterward. So I said, I better hold off. I better hold off until I'm a little bit better at this. Year two come around. That was uh, summer 2019. You know, the difficult thing about this is that you get one shot. <laughs> you get one shot per year. When the dandelions bloom... You got to be ready to go pick them. And when you pick them, you got to pick a ton of them. As soon as uh, you've picked enough dandelions, what happens is that the flower closes up. So the, fl the flowers open when you're picking them. They look beautiful in the, in the bag. But by the time you get home, all the flowers have started to close up. And so it really looks like all you've got is a bud once you get home. And then you got to snip the flowers and, of course, bring the petals out and you put those in a pot. So it's kind of time sensitive. On top of that, you get one chance per year because when the dandelions bloom, they bloom. You got to pick them. Whatever you pick, which is a ton of work. And my back was killing me, man, at the end of that day. At the end of that day, you've done so much work that you'd have to be a madman to be willing to go out and pick dandelions three days later if things aren't turning out the way you want them to turn out. So once you've picked your dandelions, if you wait five or six days, the dandelions in any quantity that matters are gone. So you'll still see dandelions here and there, but not in the quantity that I'm talking about that you need in order to go out and pick the dandelions. So if you get it wrong, as happened to me last year, that's it. You have to wait an entire year if you're going to do it again. Well, I said to myself, I am not going to leave this job undone. So last year, uh, I went out and picked a bunch of dandelions. This is the first time that my daughter got stung. She got stung on her little precious finger. And I'll tell you what, I hunted that bee down. I was going to break his legs, but I never did find him. But she got stung by a wasp. And so that was memorable for her. But what happened is that we did not pick enough dandelions for what I really needed. So when I went to make my dandelion wine, I went through the whole process, weeks and weeks, got it in the bottles, I taste tested it, 
and it just tasted like water. There was not enough flavor from the dandelions because I hadn't picked enough to be able to make a good batch of dandelion wine. Well, of course, again, I had advertised it to everybody. Hey, I'm making dandelion wine. Oh, really? Well, I want a bottle. I want a bottle. So, again, I could not bring myself to give anybody a bottle of that wine. Now, I did bottle one bottle, and I saved it aside for myself, just for sentiment, you know, sentiment. I'm a pretty sentimental guy. I don't know if you knew that about me. So I've got my first bottle. I just have it sitting here for sentiment and uh, decoration, and I've got my second bottle. So now we get to this this year. I sat around thinking about where I went wrong with my dandelion wine last year and the year before. I thought about my mistakes and how I could correct them to do it just right this year. You know, they say third time's a charm. And doesn't that remind you a lot of recovery? You learn all these things about recovery. You're learning to have new perspectives about things. But up until now, you haven't gotten a, a, a great chance to put these things into practice. So you go out, you interact with people, you interact with life, and you fail. It's not the end of the world. Take a seat. Think about it for a little bit. Where, where did it go off the rails? How could you prevent that in the future? Make some adjustments. Get excited about the positive things you're going to see once you put those adjustments into practice. And that's where I'm at with my dandelion wine. So this year, as I said, I took my daughter out. We picked a whole mess of dandelions. We picked plenty. We came back. I made just the right adjustments to my approach in preparing the dandelions. I made just the right adjustments to, to my entire interaction, my entire process with this dandelion wine making. And, you know, I almost ran into a problem because, uh, because of this COVID-19, I wasn't able to run out to the grocery store immediately and look for yeast, which is what I needed to add to the dandelion wine mixture to cause fermentation, to create alcohol out of the wine. And when I did get to the grocery store, they were wiped clean of yeast, believe it or not. There must be a lot of bakers in my town or something because they they wiped out the toilet paper and the yeast. <laughs> Sounds like somebody's having a party, right? Well, I had three packets of yeast from the two previous years. You're not going to believe this. The one packet I had from last year, it didn't take I used my second packet from the year before. This is from 2018. It was expired January 2019. But I had my fingers crossed. I was going at it on a wing and a prayer. It also failed. So I was down to one final packet of yeast from 2018, which had expired in January 2019. And I mumbled a little prayer, crossed my fingers, crossed my toes. I prepared the yeast, and it took. Yes, it took. So, my dandelion wine, which is just perfect at the moment, perfect, is currently fermenting in my house um, up until today when I was mixing. Uh, you know, I, 
I mix it three times a day just to keep the yeast going or keep the uh, fermentation going. And you can hear it. Pop, pop, pop. Sounds like uh, Rice Krispies. So I've just got to let it sit for a while until that process starts to slow down. And then I'll move it into bottles. I'll put balloons on top of the bottles until all the fermentation stops. Then I'll cork those bottles. And sometime this late fall or early winter, I'll finally have my perfect bottles of dandelion wine. And, uh, of course, everybody who's been asking for them for these past three years is finally going to get to try my dandelion wine. The first impression they get of it is going to be phenomenal. They're going to think highly of me for the rest of their lives. They'll probably pay tribute to me after my death, build statues to me, everything. But most of all, I'm excited about just popping a bottle open, sitting down sometime when snow is covering the ground in December, pouring summer into a glass. Well, enough about dandelion wine. Let's talk about the Building Society Bandit, or the Gentleman Bandit, as he's known. Now, I wrote this article originally for the question, is the saying, once a cheater, always a cheater, true? Have you heard that expression? Once a cheater, always a cheater. Is that true? Well, there's a fundamental principle inherent to the question that I would like you to consider. And it's a little saddening to me that most people, when asked this question, don't seem to take this, this fundamental principle into consideration when they answer. And you'll hear lots of intelligent people say, yeah, once a cheater, always a cheater. And among the reasons given for this conclusion is science. Science which is a surefire way to make people turn off their ability to reason. You simply attribute a point to science. Now, anybody who's been listening to me for any length of time knows that I love science. I read about science constantly. I think about science all the time. But having said that, if you say, look, a scientific study says so-and-so, people stop using their brain right there. Because they believe somebody else is doing the thinking for them. And they've thrown their complete trust behind that people or group of people or institution or whatever. Now, apparently in studies done on changes within the amygdala, and I've mentioned this before in the past, the guilt response was seen to erode or disappear completely once lying becomes routine. Now, here's my problem with this sort of reasoning. Science has never suggested that this change to the amygdala is permanent and irreversible. In other words, just as repetitive lying can cause a weakening of conscience, repetitive truth-telling, that is, consistently avoiding lying, has precisely the opposite proportionate potential to once again strengthen a conscience and return it to healthy working order. Now, in the scientific study, they called it the guilt response. 
But all they're talking about there is your conscience, your conscience. And every one of us has one. You can weaken it or you can strengthen it depending on your choices, the choices you make and that you always have because you've got free will, right? I also uh, saw in response to a question like this, the related experience of uh, one particular wife who was caught cheating on three separate occasions over the course of three months with three entirely different guys. And they used this as an example to prove that the saying, once a cheater, always a cheater, has merit. But let me ask you something. Is this wife representative of every single person who has ever cheated? Even the author highlighted it as an unusual exception to his overall experience. Furthermore, where's the part of the story where we get to see what this woman's life is like five years later? How does this one woman in a three-month window of time come anywhere close to proving that once every single individual can be described in a certain negative way, that they will always fit that description for all time. And I would like to know more details, thank you very much. Was she suffering an emotional disorder? Did she marry for love or convenience? When? Was she 16 when she married? Or was she 40? Did she recently experience a traumatic change in her life? The loss of a child, perhaps? What was her husband like? Did she later go into recovery and get help? Are every one of these factors, in her example, the exact same factors in every cheater's experience? So, back to the fundamental inherent principle I alluded to at the beginning of this conversation. The whole question boils down to this, and you should consider this seriously while thinking about your efforts at authentic recovery from your emotional disorder. You either believe that people are inherently capable of change or they're not. That's what it boils down to. If you believe that people are capable of change, then you have to reject this common, extremely simplistic saying that was probably invented by somebody who was hurting at the time they uttered it and that focuses on one negative possible outcome while disregarding the millions of positive ones. This brings us to the building society bandit, also known as the gentleman bandit. You're going to get a chance to Google him after you've heard this episode of this podcast. While the gentleman bandit story doesn't specifically involve infidelity, it does involve an extreme lifestyle that you might find surprising. He's an Australian heroin addict, convicted bank robber, 
and a prison escapee. In 1980, after a dangerous and daring bust out of Pentridge Prison, he fled to India, where he lived for 10 years, avoiding justice. In 1990, he was captured in Frankfurt while smuggling heroin into the country. So they extradited him to Australia, and he served a further six years in prison, two of which were spent in solitary confinement. What were the circumstances behind the gentleman bandits spiral into a life of crime and violence? Well, his marriage ended, but here's the real kicker. He lost custody of his young daughter, and this led to a period of deep depression for him, which in turn led to his heroin addiction to dull the pain. Robbing banks was his way of supporting his addiction. After leaving prison, he was able to finally finish and publish his novel, his first novel, one of the most beautiful and profound books I have ever read. The title, Shantaram, comes from a name he was given in India, which means man of peace, or man of God's peace. The Gentleman Bandit's real name is Gregory David Roberts. Roberts returned to India after his book was published and after he got out of prison. And there he set up charitable foundations, plural, to assist the city's poor with health care coverage. He was finally reunited with his daughter. He got engaged to the president of the Heart for India Foundation. In 2009, Roberts was named a Zeitz Foundation Ambassador for Community. In 2011, Roberts stepped aside as an ambassador due to the pressure of other commitments, such as writing his follow-up book to Shantaram. But, Gregory David Roberts continues to assist the Zeitz Foundation as a friend, which is a title. So, let me ask you this. Are people, just people in general, are we capable of great, positive, real change? You bet your britches we are. Stress, tragedy, unrecognized trauma, fear, depression, loneliness. These things can cause us to act out of character and do things we would not otherwise do. Things we don't enjoy doing. Our behaviors are not always representative of what is truly in our hearts. You know, they say, if you want to know what's in somebody's heart, you just watch their behavior. Well, that's a blanket black and white statement that is not always true. It's sometimes true. It's sometimes true like moss always grows on the north side of a rock or a tree. (laughs) 
Do you remember that quote that I uh, mentioned to you a few few weeks back? <laughs> this is the funniest quote I've heard in a long time. It's, it says, uh, moss always grows on the north side of a corpse of somebody who <laughs> thought they didn't have to carry a compass. <laughs> so that's how reliable it is. Yes, as people, you know, who can't read other people's thoughts and feelings, many times looking at somebody's behavior can be an indication of what's in their hearts. But it's not always. I would say it's not even most of the time. This coming from a person who himself, I myself, have done many, many things in my past before I realized that I had borderline personality disorder, before I even knew what it was that I did not want to do. I didn't understand why I was doing them, but that I did nonetheless. Those things, many of those things were not in my heart at the time I was doing them. I had an unrecognized emotional disorder unrecognized abuse from my past that I did not even, I was not even able in that period of time in my life to recognize as abuse. I had to learn how to recognize those things as abuse. I had to learn that I was really living with a disorder. I had to learn to really hold myself accountable for everything I do or don't do, whether I have a disorder or not. I had to learn to do the hard work to eliminate that disorder once and for all. So many of those things were not in my heart. I did them anyway. But even when people's behavior does reflect what's in their heart, people mature. We emerge from ignorance. And new knowledge or circumstances make us reevaluate the types of people we are and wish to be. People who are not parents become parents. People develop relationships with God, and based on what they learn about what pleases him or doesn't please him, many make dr dramatic changes. People enter our lives who help influence our way of looking at the world. We have new experiences that profoundly affect us for the positive. Gregory David Roberts, the author of Shantaram, and the particulars of his change is just one of a billion examples throughout history that prove human beings are not only capable of drastic positive change, but that they do it all the time. That's the program for today, folks. I've kept it short and sweet because I know you've got lots of nothing to do. And I don't want to get in the middle of all that. Hey, if you want a good movie to watch, I was just telling somebody this morning, From Here to Eternity, From Here to Eternity, let me see what year that was. The dogs here in my neighborhood, they're just going nutsos. I don't know what's out there. Hopefully not a skunk. All right, so from here to eternity, from 1953, you're going to love it. Speaking of infidelity, <laughs> Burt Lancaster is in this movie, 
and he has an affair with Deborah Kerr. Montgomery Clift is also in the movie. Donna Reed, and also the great and wonderful Frank Sinatra, who won a Supporting Actor Oscar for his portrayal of the character in this movie that he plays. It's an amazing movie that I just love. Uh, so do yourself a favor. Take a break from all the modern blow up movies and watch From Here to Eternity from 1953. That's just my suggestion, ladies and gentlemen. And with that, let me remind you one last time of thelastsymptom.com. If you would like to support my ongoing efforts to help you and other people authentically escape borderline personality disorder and emotional disorders once and for all, rather than be enslaved into treating or soothing symptoms for the rest of your life, that would be very appreciated. And I thank you ahead of time. (music) 